The Craig Fawley Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davison, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now, get some Lynette's. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. And uh, for those of you who watch the program or listen to the program on a regular basis, you may recall that a few weeks ago I interviewed Ellie Sabbath, the new prosecutor in Washtenaw County. He, of course, took over a prosecutor's office after a predecessor had been there for several terms and is implementing a lot of changes within that office. Well, Washtenaw County is not the only place undergoing something like this. We also have right here in my backyard, Oakland County. New prosecutor there, Karen McDonald, was elected this past year and took office in January. Karen McDonald, welcome to the Craig Folly Show. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And, and you know, I, I was really excited to do these interviews because, um, you know, criminal justice reform is something that has been at the forefront of our national conversation now uh, for about the last year, really, uh, with, of course, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And, and it brought a lot of attention to this. And when I did the candidate forum for Oakland County, uh, for the Oakland County Democrats back in the fall, you were much like Ellie Sabat, and I should mention, you know, uh, really talking about making some significant changes to the office that perhaps your predecessors had been reluctant to take. Um, and, and I want to start with this question. Does it sometimes take fresh blood to let new ideas germinate in an office like a prosecutor's office? Hmm. I think it takes a an office culture that uh, allows people to really conduct thoughtful evaluations about what we're doing, what our goal is. So I, I don't necessarily think it, you know, you have to just have all new leadership. Um, and, and I know other prosecutors offices that are, uh, or prosecutors who were reform minded really did do a sweep of the current uh, administration. And uh, I just, my, um, my feeling taking office was good lawyers who uh, work hard should have jobs. And uh, my, my preference was to create a culture and an atmosphere where we can value and listen to one another and hopefully change hearts and minds. Uh, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. There really, there really weren't a lot of hearts and minds to change. There's so many people that are in this office. We have 170 people um, and very talented, passionate, uh, thoughtful professionals that once given a platform and a culture where they can speak their minds and really use their discretion. I've been pleased with how willing they are to look at things differently. Just like in our county, uh, our office is made up of 170 people and a little about 100 lawyers who also are experiencing real concerns about is what we're doing in the criminal justice system working. And they see firsthand how when it works and when it doesn't. And so instead of 
trying to get rid of a bunch of people and start new, what I what I really tried to do uh, was tap into this incredible resource we have in our office, which are really smart, talented people who want to also uh, do do the smart thing. Criminal justice reform is not partisan, as you know. Uh, when you sit down with somebody and you talk to talk to them about the data or just even what they experience in their own lives, most most of us, and I think the the results of the election, um, at least my election, shows that we really do want to be smarter on crime instead instead of you know creating better criminals. Sure. Well, that makes sense. And I do want to talk about one of the things we're seeing uh, on a statewide basis right now that's going to impact your office and how you do your job. Uh, we are looking at the possibility of of first time drunk driving offenses and a number of, of other uh, crimes being expunged from records after three years. Um, and I want to talk about how that's going to impact your office and, and the way that you look at somebody. So if somebody has their record expunged, um, obviously that stuff remains in the system that you can see it. So you can still make prosecutorial decisions if somebody reoffends later. Um, but what's the long-term impact of having that expungement for the vast majority of the people that you deal with in the system? I, I think that it's 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 headed in the right direction. We have to use our our professional judgment and our humanity when we're looking at individuals charged with crimes, individuals who have convictions. You know, you and I we know the difference between somebody who had a drunk driving 10 years ago and it was a, a terrible mistake, but it was, there was no injury, there was no um, accident. And this person just wants to actually be a productive member of our community. And that, that conviction is holding them back. They, they've changed, they've done what they, we wanted them to do. Uh, they're, you know, paying a mortgage, they're parenting children, they're part of, of our county why would we choose to ignore the fact that they did exactly what we want people to do? They rehabilitated, they learned from it, and now we just want them to be a productive member of our county. So uh, I, I'm in support of that, again, when the facts uh, dictate that that's a reasonable decision. Um, nobody's talking about letting habitual drunk drivers uh, you know, wiping their record clean, that makes no sense. I don't want them on the road. You don't want them on the road. But we just have to be reasonable. They're, not everybody is the same. Not everybody is the same. And I think that allowing expungements for those kinds of crimes gives people an opportunity to do uh, what we want in our community and most of all, what makes us safer. Sure. Uh, I should remind folks, my guest right now, Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald. She took office in January of this year. Uh, you've already made some changes to your office and, and uh, obviously highlighted some priorities, things that you need to work on. Some of these things are leftovers, obviously, from the from your predecessor. Uh, and, and I want to talk about this because we did talk about this in the candidate forum, and that was juvenile lifers. Uh, there were a number of cases in Oakland County, I believe 23, uh, that were under review. Um, and your predecessor had decided that she wanted the bulk of those to stay as life without parole sentences. You have changed that. You're reviewing 20 of those 23, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what made you decide that this was the right approach to take on these cases? Well, going back even a little further, Oakland County actually had, I think, 49 uh, total juvenile lifers when the United States Supreme Court ruled that we had to review every single one of them, which of course was six years ago. Um, they also ruled that 
life without parole sentences for juveniles should be an extremely rare case. Mm -hmm. uh, my predecessor said that uh, all but two or three should still remain life without parole. Many of those have already been uh, disposed of, even though this current office uh, prior to me took the position that there should be life without parole sentences. Um, they, of course, were not successful. Uh, and oftentimes when we when they went to hearings, there weren't even witnesses that the prosecutors called. It was it was merely a perfunctory. We don't want to make that decision. We'll make the judge make it, um, which I don't think is the law. The law says the prosecutor has to look at it based on the new case law, which is well grounded science, brain science and development that that it should only be in a very rare case. So when I took office, there were 22 or 23 still left to be disposed of. And um, yes, I reviewed every single one of those and, and changed the position on um, all but two, I believe. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's important to point out, this doesn't necessarily mean that these people are getting a get out of jail free card here. Um, no. This is a review of no. the sentence to see whether or not um, these, you know, uh, this is justified in these cases. But they meet the criteria of that very rare circumstance where somebody cannot be rehabilitated. And you look at a lot of things, not just the nature of the crime, Craig, because all of the crimes are terrible. They're sure. all terrible. They, you know, they were, they're homicides. They're, they're uh, victims that we talked to. None, I, I didn't read one file where I thought, well, that's not so bad. They were all really bad. But the law says now you also have to look at the, the age of the, the juvenile at the time, the, the upbringing and background of the juvenile. And then more importantly, which really was the, the bigger factor here that came into play was, you know, if you were, if you're to say somebody is, cannot be rehabilitated, you, you must really look at what have they done since they committed this, they've committed this crime. So you're looking at their, uh, their conduct in the, the Michigan Department of Corrections since that since they were admitted. And, you know, a lot of these weren't even close calls. We had 10 to 20 years of conduct that was, would be considered exemplary. So, uh, you know, my job is to follow the law. And so I believe that's what I did. Yeah. And, and it's, it was always one of those things that, uh, you know, when it was originally put in place in, in Michigan's juvenile life or law, I, I suppose there was some some sort of deterrent quality that they thought might be going along with this, but it certainly didn't seem to have any impact in terms. Of, I don't think anybody who's committing a crime like that is thinking about the long term repercussions of that act at the moment that they're doing it. Well, if you've raised teenagers, uh, you know <laughs> that, um, you know, that impulse control, that ability to look at the consequences and understand uh, it just isn't there. So that doesn't mean that juveniles don't understand right from wrong. Of course they do. It doesn't mean that they can't understand that that taking a life is is bad and it's against the law. But the idea that they somehow will think, you know, well, I shouldn't do this because I might be in prison for the rest of my life without parole. No, I don't think it had a deterrent quality at all. I think there are a m number of things we could be doing, however, uh, for juveniles and children that we know are at risk right now um, so that we can prevent them from getting in this situation to begin with, being in a, a violent home or a violent um, peer group and, and having those kinds of choices that they're making. My, my hope and view is that we can really move the needle on trying to reduce the amount of juveniles that are in that position to begin with. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, I mean, obviously this is not an easy thing to solve. <laughs> We've been trying yeah. to deal with this for a long time. Um, I do want to talk about some of the steps that you're taking in the office though, that I thought were interesting. Uh, you unveiled some uh, plans for uh, human trafficking crackdown in your county. You're talking about creating an actual human trafficking division um, that would prosecute anybody that is preying on women and children. Uh, talk a little bit about how you're setting that up and what that's going to look like um, and, and why these crimes in particular need special attention. We have created a trafficking unit and, and typically what was in place before in, in most prosecutors offices are, are traditional drug units. So as you know, uh, the laws are changing about drugs on the street and how we're going to deal with them. Marijuana is now legalized. Uh, we still have drug cases that we're charging, but what we found was a lot of these narcotic uh, trafficking cases, which is what we want specialized prosecutors dealing with, um, also overlapped into human trafficking. And human trafficking, I think Michigan's were eighth in the state for uh, the severity of human trafficking. So that that is a terrible statistic and one that I, I feel committed to to improving. And I think because our county is the second largest county, it can absolutely do that. So we now have a specialized unit that's a trafficking unit and they handle uh, human trafficking and narcotic trafficking. And again, we see a huge overlap in that. So uh, I'm, I'm really proud of that team that's working. We've, we're working with the attorney general's office. We're working with uh, uh, the Department of Justice, uh, the FBI. We're, we're trying to get training and also now at this point we're we're working in training with all of these local uh, police departments in the county who are really eager and willing to address this problem because they see it in, in their communities you know one of the interesting things uh that i talked about in my conversation with ellie sabbat was sort of separating out human trafficking from consensual sex work uh they're going to not be prosecuting consensual sex work as much in Washtenaw County uh, because he suggests that this is going to make it possible for more people to come forward and to potentially expose trafficking. If they feel that there's not going to be any repercussion for their behavior, which technically is illegal, they might be more willing to come forward to expose the bad people who are doing the trafficking in particular. Is that something that you've considered in Oakland County? You know, we, we have, we have a larger problem in Oakland County. Uh, I, I think a consensual sex worker is, is not a reality. Uh, and, and I, I think that certainly we don't, we'd ever want to prosecute victims, but the real deterrent from reporting this trafficking based on, on our knowledge base is, is not that they're these victims are afraid of being uh, prosecuted for prostitution. It's that they are in this debt bondage situation with their trafficker. They are, um, they become addicted to substance based because that the trafficker is providing for them. And a lot of times that trafficker is the only stable uh, person in their entire life. They are supporting them financially. They are, they are giving, providing uh, drugs that they're now addicted to. So no, we're not going to, we're not going to prosecute victims of human trafficking, but I just want to be clear that I think a policy that says, uh, you know, we won't prosecute 
consensual sex workers might be casting um, light in the wrong direction because I'm not, none of the people we're talking about are consensual sex workers. Uh, and in fact, um, that is not our focus, but I have not, I have not um, announced a policy not to do that because I think there could be circumstances where it's, where it's appropriate, uh, although rare, because again, I don't think we, that is a, a real prevalent problem in, in Oakland County. Understood. Well, we've only got a few minutes left, and I definitely want to talk about something uh, that you penned in the uh, Detroit Free Press the other day, talking about so-called ghost children. Uh, obviously, with a number of students uh, remote learning, but many of them have just sort of fallen off the grid. They're not showing up for their online classes. Uh, and and one of the things you point out is a significant reduction in the number of abuse cases that have been coming to your office as a result of this, um, because maybe nobody's in contact with them. They're not seeing uh, the, the types of people that would report these things aren't coming forward because they're not seeing these kids right now. How, how big a problem is this in your mind? It, uh, it keeps me up at night. So the prosecutor's office, a lot of people don't under, don't know this, but the prosecutor's office is, is responsible for prosecuting crimes, but they're also responsible for the filing um, of abuse and neglect petitions. And those are children who have been abused and neglected that were either working with and providing services for in the hopes that they can become address those issues or sometimes removing a child um, and providing services in the hopes that we can reunify. So those cases come to us through uh, child protective services referrals and those are from not uh, mandated reporters, teachers, coaches, doctors, clergy. Our children are not out at school and going to school or practice or after school or um, athletics. They're not, they're not there. And now that, you know, we had so many of these ghost children who basically just never showed up for learning. You wonder, well, where, where are they? And are they coming back? And our, our abuse referrals, neglect and abuse referrals are down by half. Now I'm certain that that's not because that the actual abuse and neglect is down by half. In fact, we know that's not true. We have an all-time high of violent crime. Uh, we have an all-time high of homicides. We normally have 20 a year. We, we now have 12 or 13. So, and across the nation, we are experiencing this for, for a number of reasons. People feel hopeless. They feel isolated. There aren't, they don't have access to resources like mental health and, and substance abuse. But my point is, we know that the abuse and neglect, we, people aren't flourishing under COVID. You know, they're not flourishing financially. They're, they're um, not flourishing uh, medically, uh, psychologically. And that all has an impact on these kids. And we aren't getting to them. So we need to get our kids back in school. And I, we need to do that however we can. And, and absent that, I mean, is there anything that your office can do? Uh, because say there's somebody who's already been on your radar, for instance, mm -hmm. they're getting some services. Uh, they may not be showing up to school. They're they're not participating. What follow-up can you really do in that situation? Are you equipped uh, to basically find out what happened and, and whether or not these kids are, are in, in okay shape? The the prosecutor's office is is not a first responder. It's, it's yeah. not an investigative tool. We We only have cases that that come to us. And in fact, in other, other news right now, that's actually an issue. The prosecutor is not the entity that investigates crime or directs investigation. We only uh, prosecute and handle cases that are brought to us. So it's the Department, Department of Health and Human Services, 
that that investigate those and receives those referrals. However, we are in close contact with uh, the educational community in Oakland County. I I pride myself in bringing a culture and um, an atmosphere of collaboration. We want to be working with school districts on all levels, um, and we're starting to, in fact, uh, develop a programs that we're we're going into Pontiac Public Schools and talking about different issues that uh, teenagers might encounter in the criminal justice system. And so we're doing that and that only helps. And I know having that uh, that relationship will, will allow superintendents and members of these school districts to come to us and ask for help. But ultimately those referrals have to go to Child Protective Services. Um, and uh, we need kids to be in places where you know, these, these mandated reporters actually have contact with them. Well, and, and obviously, you know, you look at a decrease in referrals and, and you think, Hey, that, what a great thing. But in this case, you know, you know, it's still taking place. It is um, absolutely not a great, I mean, yeah. we, we know people aren't uh, flourishing in, in this moment. They, we, we know that. Um, well, I think it'll help though. The weather's getting better. Kids will be outside. Uh, and, you know, slowly we're, we're beginning to open up again. Um, but my frustration as a prosecutor, as somebody who wants to protect children and as a mother, the, the, the fact that some political, you know, beef or fight is going to prevent our kids from being safe was really unconscionable to me. Well, and I have to ask real quick, and we'll wrap up with this. But what was the reaction to that piece in the paper? Um, I, you know, because I read it and and immediately was like, what, well, you know, this makes a lot of sense, and it's not something that I had considered. Um, I'm assuming you opened a lot of people's eyes with that. I did. The response was overwhelming, actually. There, you know, it. I was careful not to make it a political, uh, <laughs> which article. is almost impossible these days. Almost but, you impossible, know. but really, I mean, look, I, I'm 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 a Democrat. I ran as a Democrat, but. Um, protecting kids is not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. And, and I made it clear, look, I, I understand that there's an issue here, but take it up at a different time. Don't hold our, the safety of our children um, at bay so that you can, you know, win a political war. Um, the response was overwhelming. I, I think people understand what I'm doing here. I stepped from down from a job I loved as a family court judge to, to, to be a the prosecutor. And I, my job is to protect and, and care about all people, regardless of where they're from or if there's an R or a D uh, um, after their name. And look, we want to prevent, we want to, we want to protect kids so that they don't end up in the adult criminal justice system. That's that's what I'm here for, and I'm not going to let anything stand in the way. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it right there for now, but we will catch up every once in a while. Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Karen McDonald is the Oakland County prosecutor. She, of course, took office back in January of this year after many, many years of her predecessor, Jessica Cooper, being in place there. Anyway, thanks for listening to the interview today. I certainly do appreciate it. A reminder, every Friday we do something called The Week That Was on Deadline Detroit. It's our weekly panel discussion where we break down the big stories of the week. And, of course, we nominate our favorite schmuck of the week. Always have a lot of fun with that. Um, we could call it something else, but what difference does it make? It's just a lot of fun. I've got some good candidates this week already lined up. Also have some good guests lined up. Uh, my friend Saeed Khan, of course, a lecturer at Wayne State University and a frequent guest is going to be on tomorrow. And a newcomer 
to the week that was. John Rutherford of uh, Motor City Horns and also co-owner of the Kaju Cafe is going to be my guest. I'm sure he'll have something to say about COVID restrictions and what's going on there. That will likely be on the discussion table tomorrow. So, again, the week that was. Every Friday here on Deadline Detroit, DeadlineDetroit.com. You can get it live on Facebook, on my Facebook page. Also on Deadline Detroit's YouTube page, it broadcasts live, so if you prefer that, or download it as a podcast, or watch the video on DeadlineDetroit.com a little bit later on. Either way that you choose to do it, I appreciate it. And don't forget, if you want to get in touch with me, pitch me something, no problem. Show at gmail.com. Again, that's Show at gmail.com. Easiest way to reach me, but you can find me all over social media as well. Thanks for listening today. Looking forward to a fun show for Friday. See you then. Looking for the latest news and information about our great city of Detroit? Head to DeadlineDetroit.com for one-stop shopping for the most important stories of the day. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in town, providing original reporting, videos, and podcasts that keep you in the know about everything happening in Detroit. Become a member today, and you'll automatically be entered into a drawing for prizes, including gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Go to DeadlineDetroit.com membership.